we do start a new series this morning, one that we're very excited about. It, it's a little unusual for Lloyd and I both to be here on the same week, you know, because we have Franklin campus, so typically while I'm here, Lloyd is at Franklin and vice versa. But this is significant enough in the life of our church that we're both here this morning, and it's fun to be together uh, as Lloyd brings out his props. Uh, what you're going to experience today is, I believe, one of those moments in the life of the church that we'll look back on years from now and say, do you remember when? And the reason I say that is if you think about 20 years of history at Fellowship Bible Church, there were some significant services, some significant series that kind of marked us. And so what we're going to do today as we start a new vision series is we're going to tell the story of fellowship. And I think you're going to experience something that you may never have experienced before in a church. Is a church just saying, this is our story, warts and all. And it's God's story. And we're celebrating what God has done through 20 years as we look forward to a new season. So let me place the series in the context for you. Typically at this point in time, we would close out our Ecclesiastes and we would jump right into another book of the Bible. That's how we teach here. We typically will, you know, choose a book of one of the 66 books of Scripture and then walk through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we're going to continue to do that. There's no question. But every once in a while, we think there's something important enough that we want to pause on the normal way we teach and we want to dig deep in a particular area and this is one of those and it's about our vision our mission our values as a church at the 20-year mark and there's some new things our elder team our staff leadership team has literally spent from January through right now praying working hard asking God from where we've been where would you take us where are you leading us and honestly I believe God's led us to some things that I cannot wait to unpack with you all. So that starts today. We're starting by telling our story of fellowship through 20 years, looking back in a sense so that we can look ahead. So we'll share the story of fellowship and then we'll draw out some lessons from that. And that's where we're going to go this morning. Um, let me say something real quick. Joe, if you, do we have a laser pointer? If you'd grab one of those for me, I'd, I'd, I'd use it later. If we don't, no problem. But uh, Rob and I, as we talked about this, we, we thought, you know, the 20 years, 20 years, we, we thought, you know, it'd be good to kind of Let's start at, that, at the 20-year at the mark of life. And, you know, some of you haven't got there yet. Some of you uh, are around there. Some of us, you know, are well past that 20-year mark. And uh, we'll start here for a reason, because when you think about where you were at 20, uh, you were probably asking yourself um, some questions, much like Rob and I were. So uh, I scrambled through and um, pulled out the 20-year-old Lloyd, the best one I could find, so to speak. So here, here's Lloyd at 20 years old. I know you're going to like it. It's not something to laugh at, quite frankly, but that's me. And, and uh, I, it's, uh, I don't even know what to say about it. You know, when I saw it last night, I sent it to Joe. I said, will this work? And he said, boy, will it. And I said, and uh, so you look at that. You know, the first thing I noticed on there is it probably took a car windshield to make those glasses, right? I think that was the peak of my glasses size. They're huge. And by the way, at that time, those of us who wear these glasses, been wearing them since I was nine, you know, they were glass. Do you know how much those glasses weighed? I mean, my, you know, they just weigh a ton before they ever made plastic lenses. The other thing you'll notice is uh, the amazing head of hair that Lloyd had at 20 <laughs> that he no longer has you never think you're going to lose that you know i was a i was a junior in college 
Um, I remember walking around at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and I would literally, I'd be going, God, why are we so bad in football? No, I didn't do that. <laughs> it was not that. I didn't do that. I would walk around, and I would say, honestly, uh, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? See, I'd, I'd begun to grow in my faith, you know, and so I, I was going, Lord, what's your will for my life? Like everything every young person asks, and I didn't know, and, and, and I'd lived long enough to kind of know myself a little, but oh my goodness, I did not know who I was at 20, much less where I was going. You know, I had those questions. What, I didn't even know at that time what really mattered in life fully. You, you, you just, it's hard, you know, you just don't get that till you live some lives. And uh, so 20, is a, it's a significant mark, you know, not just in a church's timeline, but uh, in every one of us in this room, that, that time period is, is profound. Your All turn. Right. Lloyd, you set a high bar. Uh, let me show you a picture of me in October this 1995. I, I, now, here's the thing, and I didn't see this until this morning, that he would choose one with a Georgia thing on his, on his you know, he's in the band, that he would do that was just wrong. It, it's a beautiful uniform, <laughs> yeah, right? That really. shiny uh, aluminum foil looking uh, part next to the G and the ropes on the side. So that's me with my sister, Kimberly, her husband, Tim. Uh, they actually now live in Spring Hill and attend the Franklin campus here at Fellowship. But this was homecoming 1995. I was a sophomore. I had just turned 20 years old. And actually, Lloyd, if it makes you feel better, mid-90s, Georgia was terrible and Tennessee was awesome. Okay. So that doesn't just, make me you know, feel better. Th things change. <laughs> I know. Okay. Things change. Okay, okay. <laughs> Whatever. I was asking the same questions Lloyd was, and I think we all identify that. At 20 years old, it's who am I and where am I going? Who am I and where am I going? Where? I remember for me that yeah. lived out trying to figure out what I'm going to major in at this big school. I didn't get to Georgia thinking I knew exactly what I was going to do, that I was going to be a pastor someday. That came later in my life. I got there thinking, I don't know what I want to do. And it was this year in my life that I chose a major because I had to choose a major. And for me, it was public relations. And I didn't really know much about public relations. I just knew that I think I could do this. And, and I chose that as a major. The summer after this picture was taken, I found myself in Washington, D.C. doing an internship at Ketchum public relations firm. And they literally gave me the job because I could surf the internet. Like, <laughs> that's true. 1995 is like, you can surf the internet. Yes. Okay. You got the job. And I learned in Washington, DC in the summer of 95, I don't think I want to do public relations. <laughs> and so I came back a year later, still asking the question, who am I and where am I going? Uh, the other funny thing about the story for me there was I had just moved into a, a really small three bedroom townhome with seven guys crammed in there like sardines. We paid $114 a month each in rent, which was fantastic. So that was me at 20 years old. And you think about organizations, you think about churches, think about human beings, 20 years old is not very old. You're asking yourself at 20 years old of human life, who am I, where am I going? Organizations, churches, often are asking themselves the same questions. In fact, you think about the life cycle of a church or the life stage of a church, Lord willing, it's gonna have a much longer life than even a human being. So 20 years is young for a human. It's really young for a church. There are churches around us that are more than 100 years old right here in this area. And so we're praying and trusting that God is gonna sustain us through generations at fellowship. So here we are at 20 years, a young church, 
asking similar questions. Who are we and where we're going? And, and we're looking back today because you can often know best where you're going by turning around and seeing where God has led you thus far. Mm-hmm. You ever thought about that? The analogy you might use if you're on a long hike or, or you're a, a, an explorer, you know where you've been. Sometimes you don't know where to go next, but if you look back and say, well, God's led me to that hill, God's led me to that clearing, God's led me to that stream, it looks like he's pointing me in this general direction. And you can walk forward in faith. And so that's what we're going to do today is unpack with you the story of fellowship. And it really starts with the story of God. Yeah. We're going to start in a very familiar place. And this will all tie together, as you'll see in a moment. There's, a, there, there's, there's rhyme and reason to why we're doing it in this order. But we sit in a room week after week. If you're a guest, you may not notice this, but we talk about it a lot. The story of God. And it's on these four panels that sit around this room, these giant panels that were painted many years ago by one of our members. And we say the story of the Bible can be summarized in four words on these panels. The back panel I'm pointing to now is the panel we call creation. And this is not new to us by any means. Many people have done this and can do this. But the story of God begins with Creation. God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that is in them. He created a man and a woman, humanity, to be in relationship with each other and in relationship with him. This is in the garden called Eden. You're familiar with that part of the story. So the story of the Bible begins with creation. What's the second word we use that describes the story of the Bible? You tell me. The fall, creation, fall. It's, a, it's when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the fruit God said don't eat from. You can have it all, but not that one. And what we know is, is in that moment, their trust, their faith moved from I'm trusting God and what he said to I'm gonna trust what the serpent said and what I think I want for my life. And they did, and it plunged the whole, all of creation into what we call the, the fall. They were therefore separated from God, separated from each other, separated from creation. And so the second word in the story of God and the story of the Bible is fall. Creation, fall. In the midst of this fall, God made a promise. And God said, even as the curses were, were placed upon the man and the woman and the serpent, he said, I am going to send a child born of a woman who one day will crush the serpent, this one who led, us, led you into this. And I will make a way for you, humanity, to be back in relationship with me, back in relationship with each other, back in relationship with your own self, and back in relationship with creation. And so for thousands of years, this is the story of the Bible from Revelation chapter 3 all the way to the New Testament and the book of Titus. It just runs all the way through. It's called redemption. So the whole story from Old Testament to New Testament is God's story of redemption in which God redeems us. God buys us back. God makes a way for us to come back into relationship with him that culminates in the fullness of time. The God-man Jesus, born of a woman, crushes the serpent's head. How? By dying. He conquered death by dying. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't until God opens our eyes and we realize that Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't. And he died the death that we earned by our sin. An innocent man with no sin, there's, not a, there's, no, there's no justice in the universe if an innocent man is, is killed because it's the wages of sin that brings death. 
So how does an innocent man die who had no sin? Well, he took all of our sin and rebellion on himself, and he willingly said, I will die in your place. And he did. And he died because he was buried, as the scripture says. Death could not hold him, for he himself was innocent. Three days later, he rose again. And he says to the whole world, if you will believe that what I did, I did for you, and you put your trust in me. Then you see his death becomes our death, his resurrection becomes our resurrection, and in the moment of belief, our sins are forgiven because he paid for them on the cross. And we're clothed in his righteousness such that we know eternal life. It's not future, it's now because eternal life is relationship with God. And one day when we do physically die, we'll simply take our first breath in heaven and be with God forever and ever. That's, called, that's redemption. So the story of the Bible goes creation, fall, redemption. And when Jesus, before he left this planet and ascended, he said, I'm coming back one day. And when I come back, I'm going to set everything right. And he said, when I come back, there, uh, there, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will no longer be any tears or pain or loss, no death, not even the presence of sin. It's, it's, it's that sense by which, you know, God in creation created in Eden a, a sense of shalom is the biblical word, peace. It's like, as it should be. This is, the, this is what we were made for, this wholeness and completeness. Oh my, when God brings the recreation, which is the last word, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation, everything will be as it was meant to be. This is the story of the Bible. We say it a lot here at Fellowship because when you don't understand the story of the Bible, when you read it, you often not understand where you are. And you hit Leviticus and you put your Bible away, you know? So we don't want you to do that. We want you to understand, no, this is a story. It's 66 books, but it's one story and know where you are. And we'll talk a lot about this because life will never make sense until you join that story by putting your faith in Christ. Now, it's no accident. It's the early 1930s and a man named Joseph Campbell who has given his life to research into literature, ancient literature, texts, et cetera, et cetera. Joseph Campbell does the research to look back at every culture, on every continent, in every time period on the planet Earth. And he's studying, y'all, their stories. And he identifies a similar pattern to every story in every culture, regardless of time, language, cultural differences. And he wrote the book called The Hero's Journey. How many of you ever heard of that book? The he some of us have. Some of us in college, you studied it. The Hero's Journey. He identified this, what he called a character arc, an arc, a, 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 like a, a, a character arc, a, a, a line that shows how every story is put together, beginning, middle, and the end. And, and, and if you've done any work around this or if you've seen this at all, um, what he describes is, is, is honestly, and you know, if you, how many of you are familiar with the character arc? See, some, okay, so I'm talking to the choir on that. But those who don't, you know, the character arc, it's every great book you've ever read. It's every movie you've ever seen. 
The ark itself, it looks like I'm just going to draw it in, in, with, with my hand up here. It always begins with a character with a problem, and someone comes along to help him with that problem. It's awesome. And then he goes into the deep, deep adventure of challenges and problems and how do I resolve this? And it's not going to work. You're never going to make it. And oh my gosh. And the character comes out in the end and he resolves the problem. And so the character started here, takes the dip and he ends here. And the point is the character, okay. And the problem he solved isn't even the point of the movie. The point of the movie is the character was here and now the character has been changed. He's a different person and the people around him are now different. So that now when you go to the movies, okay, you can just put that on that movie before it ever starts and look at it because if you take any movie, take every Star Wars movie, every Lord of the Rings movie, Black Panther, The Avengers, The Incredibles, I mean, just take any movie, what happens? Oh, they're doing, gr- oh, they got a problem. Oh my gosh, they're not gonna get out of it. Mission Impossible, but they do get out of it. And so you sit in the movie and you go, I know where this is going. But it's still awesome, see? Because we're wired, we're wired for story. I don't want you to miss that. We're wired for story. It's not a man-made construct. Made in the image of God, we long for story. And so God chooses to reveal himself how? He didn't draw a diagram. He didn't send a picture. He gives us a book with 66 Stories that become one story. That's no accident at all. And so with that in mind, we're gonna walk through very quickly the, the, the story of fellowship. And I'm gonna talk about the implications of this and reasons why we do it. If we, start with the, if we take the story of Fellowship Bible Church. You know, I, I personally didn't know until I was 35 years old in seminary where churches come from. In the same way kids go, where do babies come from? You know, we don't, I'm not kidding you. I'm 35 years old. I just assumed churches were always there. I just assumed churches were, I don't know, they came from somewhere and they're always there. They always, everywhere I go, there's a church. And it's only then I understood, well, churches can be planted. And um, so coming out of seminary, uh, a fellowship story begins with two guys, myself and a guy named Jeff Schulte, who we were at seminary. Uh, both of us realized, you know, we just want to help people know Christ and grow in Christ. And in seminary, you really do get reminded that the local church is God's plan for the world. That the local church is God's most powerful force for good, for evangelism, for discipleship, for all things. The local church. As goofy and messed up as local churches are, it's his plan. That's it. And he doesn't have another one. And so we said, well, I want to help people know Christ and grow in Christ. So we set out to plant a church uh, moving here to Nashville. And, all, and I'll tell you, the very center of that desire was the passage that Cynthia read. That's why she read Ephesians 4. Because we said, we want to plant a church wherein, as, as Paul said to the Ephesians, where the leadership of the church, the pastoral team, whatever you want to call it, maybe, equips the saints for the work of ministry. So that we would be a church wherein people would understand, we don't go to church. I am the church. 24 7, 365. I gather on weekends and other places to be equipped to learn, but, but I am the church. Therefore, you don't, you don't have to bring your friend to the pastor to help them with their marriage problems. No, that's why I'm in their life and he's not. 
You know, you don't have to bring someone to the pastor so that you can lead them to faith. He can lead them to faith in Christ or she can lead them to faith in Christ. No, you do it because you work with them, not me. You know, they know you. Not So it's the church. It's you. Everybody, I'm looking in your eyes. You are the church and you're the pastors of this, out of this community of faith. That's the kind of church we sought to, to plant and become. So we started in 1997 with seven people in a Bible study in our house over in Fieldstone Farms. We went from that to uh, the summer of 1997, about 15 families were meeting and we were talking about what kind of church do we want to be? We call this, um, you'd call this the core group. And um, we, were, we, we, we were a core group of uh, maybe 15, 20 families. Uh, we began meeting in the fall of 1997 at Franklin High School, the old Franklin High School. And uh, during that time, I was going to show you one more picture I want you to see, because some of you in this room were there. We met in the, uh, the cafeteria of the old Franklin High School, and uh, you're going to see a picture of this. And I'm going to bring out an old remnant from our days that we still use even to this day, uh, these old carts that we bought called port, from a group called Portable Church. And uh, the church in a box, we had 15 of these babies in a trailer, pulled to Franklin High School every Sunday morning. And some of you in this room <laughs> pushed your kids on top of these. That was the great joy of a Sunday morning is put your little kid on top of here and tell them to keep their head down because we're going underneath the door and you're gonna bang your head on it, you know? But 15 of these would roll throughout Franklin High School and we would set it up, you open the doors up and there's the first grade room. Open the doors, there's the second grade room. Open these doors up and here's the nursery. Open these doors up and here's the, the worship, you know, the equipment, etc. Now, I love this picture here. Um, when you look at it, you know, that, that, is, um, that is me. That is me right there with all that hair, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but I want you to look right there. Do you know what that little black thing is right there? Anybody know what that is? It's a speaker. We would take the speakers out of this guy's car and set them up, man. And that was our, our system right there. And now I want you to look at this. Look at these things. Oh my gosh, you know, we've come a long ways, haven't we? Well, that's how churches start. Churches start with a group of people who have a dream and a desire. And let's get together and let's, let's begin to worship God. That's not even a church service. That's the core group. That's, that's where we're going. This is the kind of church we want to be, okay? That's the December of 19. 97. In March of 1998, we had our first worship service right in that room. There were 100 people there, 50 adults, 50 kids. From March 1998 until uh, April of 2003, okay, when we had our first worship service here, we, were, we went from 100 people at that first one, we were at 600 people. When we had our first service in this room right here, 600 people. Uh, with two services over there. We start here with two services. That was March, uh, April of 2003. From 2003 until 2000, 2003 to 2004, we went 600 to 1,200. 2004 into 2005, that next year, we were right at 3,000 people. It was a lot of growth. It was a lot happening. It was very exciting. Uh, we, but we, we always said, you know, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the size of the church. It's about our health. And quite frankly, it's about Ephesians 4. I don't care if it was 100 people, 300, 600, 3,000, is the church being equipped for the work of ministry and doing the work of ministry where you live, work, study, and play. That was our heart of hearts. But it was, an, it, it was quite exciting. And, you know, you think about, think about the character arc that I drew with my hand, okay? See, that character arc was going along. And it was about 2005, 
It was 2005 that we let go of uh, Jeff Schulte, who I planted the church with. Now, when you, any organization, I don't care what size, what, what you're doing, when you have a change in leadership in terms, especially of a founder, um, that is really hard. And uh, it was, it was as difficult a thing, I think, as I've ever faced, that we've ever faced as a church in many ways. And it, it, it began a series for us of, of tremendous challenges. Like, boy, this is hard. Now, what's interesting is from 2005, y'all, until 2008, 2009, I, I want you to know the church, when, Je when Jeff was let go, and it's not, the church kept growing. The church continued to grow in that time. Jeff goes, is, is, is gone in 2005. The church continued to grow. But I'll tell you, that growth was... Um, while, while amazing, and, and, and I look back on it with great gratitude, it also stretched us in many ways. And uh, we're going to talk more about this in a moment, but I would say this, on reflection, having lived it, I know for me personally, and we would, we would own this as, as a leadership team and as elders, that there's somewhere in there, we began to shift our confidence from only God can do it to Let's, let's us figure this out. We got to figure this out. And we got to figure it out now. It, it's, it's very subtle, but, but it happens. And I believe that God in his graciousness said, you can't do it without me. And we continue to grow and do those things. But we also experienced a lot of pain in the ensuing years in different ways and for different reasons. And so our character arc, quite frankly, our story arc, it did do this. You know, 2000, from 2010 until now, as a church, we've been shrinking numerically for, for these years. But our arc goes like this in the fall. And when, when you're in the, when you go from, this is the creation story, but when you go in the character arc and you begin to go here, it's just kind of like you're down here, up and down, almost the wilderness experience and the challenges. We, we've experienced that. And I would, I would identify a couple of things. One would be... Um, and if you've been here a while, I think you've felt it at, at times clear direction, but at other times kind of a lack of clear direction. That's a fact. Uh, we're in a, you know, we've described it sometimes as we found ourselves bailing water instead of pushing the ship forward. We're just, let's just keep it floating because we're struggling right now. And y'all, that's, we had leadership transitions. You know, uh, we, 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 um, we planted Franklin, tremendous amount of energy. Uh, we, we, we've planted our Nashville congregation. Um, we've had uh, just change, tremendous change and uh, challenges, not the least of which is uh, a lawsuit in 2014. And uh, that takes, you talk about something to take your eye off the ball to engage that. And, and y'all, that's not like, uh, you know, a couple months we'll resolve this. That was a three-year process to resolve things. Now, through all of that, I, and if you've been here, I know you would agree with this. God was growing us internally. God was changing us. Oh, we were struggling, but God was at work. And then just reach back a year and a half ago about, and, and, um, and a little further than that, we had Bill transition off, one of the teaching pastors, you know, Bill Wellens. And then uh, just over a year ago, we had Michael Easley. We transitioned Michael off staff. That was not easy. I'm not, you know, there's nothing, got nothing to hide in, in any of this. You, you make changes like that in leadership and it, you feel it. And I trust me, and we do. And it just makes you wonder, you know, what's going on? How, 
And these things happen in every organization, every family. This is, this is the way life works. Now, in the last year, we have named Rob Sweet as our lead pastor. And one of the things Rob has done was Rob has, has, has worked tremendously hard to refresh the elder team, refresh the elder board, which he has and which is, is an ongoing process. He's put together his own leadership team. Um, and one of the things he said is, we're going to take a look at where we've been to identify where we're going. And he's brought in an outside group to help us do that. And this is the process we're in. And this is the next six weeks we're going to be unfolding some of, okay, this is where we are, where we've been, where we are, and this is where we're going and why. But Rob has led in that. And I would say that we are, I, I think, in a sense, having been, having been in here, that we're probably, we're probably here, somewhere around here where we're coming up to go, you know, there's a, there's a sense to which we, uh, we're renewing our future look. We're renewing our vision where we're going. And I do believe, just like every, every character arc goes like this, and, ends, and in, it goes to here, and so we started, we were here at one time, we've been through this, and then as a church, I think we're here. And so you can notice there's been change in us. Does that make sense? There's been growth in us as a church. Well, the growth, it didn't go like, the growth didn't go like this. The growth went like this. Oh, mm, ouch, e, ah, ooh. <laughs> you know, that's, that's growth. And that's kind of how, that, not kind of, that's how growth functions. Now, isn't it fascinating to look at Joseph Campbell's character arc and lay it over the story of God? That's, I'm not making this up. And you go, well, Lloyd, if you'd have drawn the story of fellowship at year three, you know, all you would have been was this. And I'd say this to you. Well, at one level, it would look like that, but I'll tell you what was going on even during these days. This was going on all the time. God was going, oh. In other words, the character arc, even in small segments, is always happening. You are always in the character arc in your own story. No one escapes it. It's, it's how God changes us through these, these dips. And in fact, right now, I don't know, you know, in one, in one place in your life, you're here. In another place in your life, you're here. In another place in your life, it's like you got these character arcs all over you in different phases of life. And the reason we... we, we, we tell this, I'm telling you this story. And if you don't get anything, I hope you get more than this, but this is something really important. Is when we don't own our story, what we do is we take these parts of our story, this low-level part of our story, so to speak, and when we don't tell it and own it, we carry it as shame. And it lodges in there. You know, you keep living your life, and then you go through another character arc, and you grab that piece, and you throw it in there as shame. This is the truth. I'm not, I'm not trying to go psychological on you. I'm going biblical still. You carry shame. And so God invites us, you all, to tell the story. Yeah, but I don't want to tell that part of my story because I screwed up so bad. I did so much. You tell your story. 
And when your story's in the light, it's in the light of God's redemptive purposes and plans. And you own it. We own it. And the shame, you see, bleeds out. And instead, it's gratitude for what God has done in our story. You all, I promise you, there are parts in my personal story and in this corporate story of Fellowship Bible Church that I wish had never happened. I wish I'd never done. That's the last thing I wanted. Now, I can stay there or I can say, well, the Bible says God is in control, that God is sovereign in every person's story. And in that pain, he was doing something that I can't imagine. So I, I think a better way I'm learning to say is, I don't ever want to have to go through that again, but God in his sovereignty and providence ordained that for me and for this church. And so... We, I'm excited to tell you this story. We are. And you know what? I'm not just camping on this or this. I want to tell you about this. Because it's our story. And it's there that God changes his people. I once heard it said that when you can tell your story, it no longer controls you. And I think that's profound. It's profound at a personal level. To a certain degree, it's profound at an organizational level. I, I remember back in graduate school studying the organizational life cycle of a company and organization. And guess what? It looks like this. And so when a company or organization starts at some point in time and has some success, it starts doing things differently. It grows. It has to change. It's no longer, you know, aggressive, et cetera. And it, it begins to go down into a dip. And what, you know, business leaders, organizational leaders will tell you is if there's not renewal someplace in this dip here, it's gone. It's going to die. But what separates the church from any other company or organization or any, any other entity at all is it's not ours. It's God's. It's the body of Christ. And so we've spent a lot of time collectively as an elder team thinking about this story. In fact, we took two days in the last three months. We took two whole days that were separated by about a month. And we walked through the 20-year journey of fellowship. And we said, what would God teach us about this story? Like, what does he want to name for us in our story? More importantly, what meaning does he want to assign for us when we think about this 20-year story as God's story? And there were two lessons that emerged, kind of two big themes. And I just want to share those with you very openly. The first lesson that emerged or major theme from our story is... It's God's story, not our story. In other words, it's not about fellowship. It's never been about fellowship. So Lloyd, you know, very candidly told you there was a sense where, I mean, this was the hot church in town. I mean, this place was exploding. Whatever the numbers were, it go from 600 to 3,000 in two years or whatever. Like that'll get you on the, the top 10 growing, fastest growing churches in America magazine, which Sadly, that magazine exists, by the way. I don't know if I should have said that, but I just did. Now, 
when you're at that place, naturally what starts to happen is you start to say, we're doing something right. We've cracked the code. Let's have a conference. Let's do whatever. And, and what, what can tend to happen, I'm not saying this happens in every church, but what can tend to happen is you start relying on your own resources, your own strength, your own teaching ability, your own leadership ability, whatever it is, and it becomes about you. And this is part of what God took us through. One of the things I love about fellowship is it's never been about a single person. The reason it's never been about Lloyd Shadrach alone, uh, Jeff Schulte alone, Bill Wellens, Michael Easley, Rob Sweet, it's not been about an individual. Part of that's embedded in our DNA through this warning, through this lesson that we experienced early in our culture. That's shaped us, you see. This is a deep lesson we've learned. It's God's story, not ours. I am struck every time I get together with our elder team how much humility is in that room. And, and guys, if you look at the whole story of the Bible, humility is, is, is like next to godliness. And humility is not thinking less of yourself than you are. Humility is an accurate understanding of yourself in comparison to God. Humility is understanding, I do have some strengths. I do have some ability. They came to me from a source, and I'm a part of his story. The thing about putting God at the center of the story rather than us at the center of the story is it eliminates pride and it eliminates shame. Because if you see yourself as the hero, then when things are going well in your life, there's pride. And when things are not going well in your life, there's shame. But when you see the whole thing as God's story of growth in you, your sanctification, the pride goes away and the shame goes away. And that's called proper humility. So that's the deep lesson that God has embedded in our leadership through a fairly difficult 20-year journey at Fellowship Bible Church. And that is... It's not about us. It's not about us. The second lesson I think goes along with it is just as powerful. God has been at work every moment of the story. It's not like Lloyd referenced. It's not that God was doing something here. Wow. Fellowship, Bible church, the Holy Spirit's at work. And, you know, maybe, you know, someday God's going to take us even higher. No, 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 no. God's at work here. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Almost especially, he's here. In fact, what we would say is, although, you know, Lloyd referenced, we're a smaller church today numerically than we have been at some points in our story. We're a much deeper church. There's been a depth of growth that, quite frankly, drew me to be a part of this church four years ago. As I got to know it, I said, here's a church that understands it's not about them and has some depth to them, and I want to be a part of it. So those are the two big lessons. It's not about us, and God's always been at work. In fact, I want to read to you four or five statements that the elders made as we kind of looked at the story, and we said, who has God made us to be in light of our story? How are we different today than than we were collectively in 1998. And, and here's what the elders said. We're more spiritually and theologically sound. We have a greater fear of God and greater dependence on the Spirit. We are keenly aware of our need for God and our inability to move forward without God. And finally, and all these I, I think are because of the story, we're a lot more unified than we've been in years. 
This is the meaning. These are the lessons of the story. These are significant. It, it's sort of the story of, a, of a, a church that set sail being powered by the wind of the Spirit, right? Spirit blowing at some point in time sort of said, I think we got this and maybe started rowing on its own. And now here the Spirit is very gently reminding, it's not about you. I've been at work the whole time. Just look to me. Look to me for your future. And that encourages me at the deepest level. I, I thought about this uh, as we were working on how we're telling this story. And uh, it struck me, you know, we, we chose the book of Ecclesiastes for a, a very specific reason. Because we feel like it prepared the ground for us to now talk about our mission and values and our future. Because it, it reminded us of where we are. Where we are in time and geography in a sense. And uh, it, it, it struck me, I, I go, Lord, only you could bring these things together. But, you know, having done that book, I want you to think about where we could, we could be in any, any location, you know, on the I guess in the United States at some level. But God sovereignly placed us in Brentwood, Tennessee, and in Franklin, Tennessee, and basically within Williamson County, the 12th wealthiest county in the United States. And what do we do with that? We're here, God. We're not picking up and going. You've planted us here. We're staying. Well, think about the book of Ecclesiastes. We spent tw 21 weeks looking at the preacher as he opened our eyes to show us that the world is choosing the good life. And, and we live in a community, quite frankly, where you and I, we, we kind of, we get sucked into the good life as well. It's a fact. I mean, just look around, you know, take a look around when you're driving around our communities, whatever part you're in, and it's people choosing the good life. And yet, there are people in, that you and I live with, work with, study with, play with, engage with, whether they're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, many are asking the same questions that a 20-year-old asks. The questions Rob and I were asking at 20. There's 60 going, is this it? There's 63 going, okay, I've got it all. And it doesn't, you see, it doesn't satisfy. And so God in his sovereignty places us as a community of faith in this particular community to help people answer those questions. Your friends, your family. To show them as the preacher did through Ecclesiastes that yes, life is vanity under the sun unless and until you join God's story and understand that even under the sun you can live in such a way that you're living for that which lasts forever. And that just hits me. I, I, I'm just reminded of it, you know, looking back on 20 years. I had no idea, had no idea where we'd plant as a church and we're here and God has a reason. I think it's significant to remember that the, the specific story that God has led fellowship in over 20 years has given this church a sense of power in a way, not our power, but God's power and, and a sense of direction. And this is what Lloyd is talking about. And so we've been asking the question, what does it look like moving forward in this place? What would God have for us? So the last step we did as an elder team in this, this you know, conversation around our story is we were on a retreat this was three weeks ago and we were on a retreat we took a whole day around the story it was the second of our two days in this area and one of our staff elders Rob Howard asked the question he said what would it look like if we went to the pattern in Revelation where Jesus addresses seven local churches 
If you remember that, we actually walked you through that two years ago in a sermon series on the seven churches to Revelation. And to each church, he said, here's your commendation. In other words, something that that I, Jesus, would commend you for. Here's your condemnation, something that I would have you change or have you repent of. And then the third was, here's a gracious promise for your future. So we thought, what would that look like? So all the elders just, just prayed about that. We asked God to guide us. And we filled up five or six, you know, pages on a flip chart put it in the room around the retreat center. And then we asked God, guide us. What would it be that you might specifically say to us? And we felt a remarkable sense of unity as he guided us to specific things in each of these categories. And so I want to just open that up and share with you what our elder team believes at 20 years in might be a message from Jesus in a sense. I don't want to over-spiritualize that, but God leads his people through his spirit. And he really unified us around these ideas. So what might be a commendation, 20 years of fellowship, that Christ might say to us, well, we believe it might be this. He might say, you have held fast to the clear teaching of my word. And we praise God for 20 years of holding fast to the clear teaching of the word. You know, when, when attendance declined at certain points in time, Lloyd and others could have said, well, maybe we don't need to like do expositional teaching anymore. Maybe we need to do topical teaching or some other thing. No, no, God has continue to remind us to hold fast to the clear teaching of his word in a culture that's doing anything but. This has formed us and shaped us, and we feel a commendation through the Holy Spirit of Jesus in that. We celebrate that. It's another one of the reasons that I love this church and I want to be at this church. This is going to still be a part of our future. It's an anchor point for us. We have held fast to the clear teaching of our word. And not we don't say that in a point of pride, a place, a place of humility. God has allowed us by his grace to do that. Secondly, what might be the condemnation? You know, th- this is what might we need to repent of 20 years in. And there were several things we listed on that chart, but I want to read you this one that we believe God led us to, the condemnation. You have not fully known my love, nor have you loved me and others with a whole heart. You have not fully known my love, nor loved me and others with the whole heart. In other words, it's a failure to love the Lord your God with everything you are and to love your neighbor literally our neighbors and figuratively our neighbors everywhere with all our heart and the spirit has deeply convicted us and we want to repent as Jesus would call Mm -hmm. us to repent. Mm -hmm. When Rob Howard led us through this exercise we had done a lot of work y'all we had made a lot of progress and it was one of those things where Rob said you know I've I've got this one last thing I'd, I'd like us to consider what if we took the seven churches in Revelation, and what if we identified our commendation, our condemnation, and our gracious promise, and I'm telling you, and I might have even said this, because I sure felt it in my heart, I was kind of like, eh, let's not do that one, you know, that could be painful, um, but he, he led us in it, and some of you wonder, so what do you mean the, what do you mean the Lord spoke to you, and I just want to unpack it just a moment to say, and, and reiterating what Rob said, you got a group of men whom the Spirit indwells, who are choosing in those moments as, as, as best they can to say, I, I'm gonna trust the Spirit's filling me, trust that the Spirit's leading. We opened our Bibles, we talked to one another, we prayed, we, we, we were quiet to listen. What do you hear the Lord saying to you through his word, through our interaction, through his Spirit? We wrote a bunch of stuff on the board 
We got away from it. Rob said, let's not, let's get away from this for a while. We came back to it later. And then we asked again, what do you sense the Lord doing? And we went up and went marks by certain words. We put marks by it, say, what's the consensus word? And it's like, that's what fell out. And you go, well, is that how God speaks to us today? I think it's one way that he speaks. And I want us to hear this on the condemnation. I hear it. And if I really hear it, it makes me sad. It does. I want you to think about, the scripture says, God is love. And that our condemnation would be related to our love of, his love for us, our love for him. And love. That's a hard one, y'all. And I really think that's why, I, should, I do believe it's the spirit. I don't think I would have picked one that hard. But that's a deep one. And while it, while it's hard, I, I want us to own it. Because if we don't own it right now, it won't change. And so I want to own that personally and repent. I want to invite you to own that personally. For when we do, we own it as a church. And isn't it gracious of God to say that to us? Because if he didn't, we would just keep going somewhat unaware. So it's like, you know, I want to know that I have cancer. I hate to hear it, but I want to know and then I can do something. And so I just, I told Rob, I said, Rob, we talk about that. Can I say something? Because I don't want us as a church to slide by that. I want us to take the full plunge in God's grace and see him change that in us in future years. I want to move on to the gracious promise. And there's a lot of hope in what we believe God is speaking to us about our future. And so the trajectory is this, the commendation is you've held fast to the teaching of my word. The condemnation is you've failed to love me and others with everything you are. And the gracious promise that we believe the Spirit led us to is this, that Jesus would say, I will be glorified in you and through you. Lives will be saved, disciples made. And then quoting Psalm 86, 11, I will grant you an undivided heart that you may fear my name. I just had a lot of joy and hope when, when that's where God led us in this exercise. What more could we dream of and hope for than those things? That he would be glorified through us, not about us. It's his glory that he would grant us an undivided heart so that we may fear him. In other words, a heart that would love him more fully and love the lost and the least. Now, you want to know where we're going as a church. We're going to be unpacking this over the next six weeks, but I'll just say it right here. You put all that together. He would commend us for the clear teaching of the word. That's not going anywhere. He would challenge us to deepen our love for God and for other people. And he would speak gently to us and say, I'm going to be glorified through Fellowship Bible Church. That's a future that I couldn't be more excited about. Mm -hmm. And our elder team... Uh, is there too. So it's one of the reasons why we have titled this series Wholehearted. We are all in with our whole hearts. And we're going to invite you to be all in as well. Because at some point in time, your story's intersected with this organizational story, with this, you know, story of this organism, this living organism called a church. And we want to invite you into that. And so throughout this series, we're going to be 
asking you and encouraging you, hey, does this vision resonate with you? By God's spirit in you. Lloyd said it earlier, our dream at Fellowship has always been not for the men and women on stage to be the church, but for this to be the church, for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. We are here, leaders are here to equip you to be Jesus for a world that needs him. Mm -hmm. So here's how we're going to close. The band's going to go ahead and come out. We're going to sing a song to wrap this up. It's a song that our worship team has written, and we're going to be using it throughout this season. We're going to teach it to you this morning. It's called, I Say Yes. And in the context of this first message this morning, what are you saying yes to? Well, you're saying yes to the idea that God's the one that's authoring your story. You're saying yes to the invitation to say, God, whatever you have for me, you know, separately from fellowship, as a part of fellowship, I say yes. I say yes. If it's you speaking, God, I say yes. Look, this is the heart of your leaders. This is the heart of the elder team, our staff team. We want this to be our heart collectively, that we would say yes to wherever God leads us. So let's sing this song together. You can go ahead and stand to your feet, and we'll sing.
from here next week, we'll start by talking about what values has God shaped in us over 20 years? What core values, uh, who are we in light of the story and the direction that God is heading? And then after that, we'll talk about our mission. What are we here to do? And after that, we're going to talk about how are we going to be going about doing it? So through these six weeks, we encourage you to keep saying yes and being open to how God's going to be leading you, God's going to be leading us in a very exciting time of fellowship. As you go out the doors, you're gonna see on the windows, you probably may have seen already coming in, there are some markers out there and each window is labeled with a year, 20, from 1998 all the way to 2018. We wanna invite you to write your name when you started coming to fellowship so we can have a visual picture that will stay up during this series of how God has been building his church for 20 years. I'm going to remind you of a familiar verse that I want to make sure we hear it in context. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Philippians, was speaking to the church. So these words are to the plurality. It's not to an individual. Now, we, we take this individually. That's fine. It's okay. But in context, he said these words to the church at Philippi. And so we receive these words from him that they're to the church called Fellowship Bible Church. Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. And he will. God bless.